For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. First of all, it's, it's when, the, when the lights come on, the freaks come out at night. So, you know, when they come on, it's time to shine. You're listening to the From the Pink Seats podcast, powered by the State of Louisville Network. Welcome back into the second episode of From the Pink Seats. I'm your host, Jacob Lyon, joined by Matt McGavick, and we've got a special guest tonight. Uh, if you listen to, to myself and Presley Meyer over at Big Red Louie, you are familiar with Gigi Robinson joining us on the show and his, his takes about the Louisville football program. If not, former Louisville defensive tackle, I know you've heard the name, five-year player for the University of Louisville. Gigi, welcome into the pod for the first time. How are you, my friend? Oh, he, the mute button got him. It didn't take long for the mute button to get him. <laughs> I go off. I kept pressing it. <laughs> What's up, y'all? How y'all doing? Uh, man, uh, just glad to join the podcast again. Yeah, it's great to have you here, man. And I want to start with this. This is a little off topic for the show, Matt. We talked about this last week, but this is going to be specifically Louisville football, um, especially towards the end of the season, really breaking these games down and previewing, you know, the upcoming game. But I want to start with what's going on in the NFL today with the Denver Broncos. This is the story of the morning. Um, The Broncos, if you haven't heard, had a quarterback test positive for COVID-19. And in the contact tracing steps that followed, they determined that the three other quarterbacks on the roster were not eligible to play because they had been around him uh, without mask on. So in the blink of an eye, a team goes from four quarterbacks to no quarterbacks. And this morning, we're getting a little bit more about what, uh, hearing a little bit more about what the Broncos want to do. And Gigi and Matt, I'm going to open this up to you guys. Have you ever heard something as crazy as a team asking for a coach to step in as a starter? I've never even heard of something at like that in any level of football. I mean, maybe that could be something that somewhere along the lines in high school has been done, but at the NFL level, that's that's just another thing you can just chalk it up to 2020 because like when I never envisioned the fact I knew at some point COVID was going to try and catch up to a lot of these teams, but once it got to the fact where the Broncos were asking their quality control coach to step in at signal caller, I. That was not on my 2020 bingo card. You see that every week with in college, but as a practice squad, like on scout team, like quality control coaches will step in at receiver, run a route or something. Obviously, they're not going to get touched or something, but to actually play in a NFL game, trying to get them to play in an NFL game, that's crazy. But like you said, that's just something. I'm sure that's not even as crazy as it sounds. I think we'll see something even crazier before this year ends, just because that's how 2020 is going. 
You're exactly right. Like I can tell you these things that are happening. And at this point, no one is surprised to hear things like an NFL franchise is asking for one of their coaches to step onto the field and play. Um, But this, this news actually can be tied back to Louisville a little bit, considering that Louisville's next opponent is Wake Forest. uh, And the quarterback who will take um, the snaps for Denver will be Kendall Hinton, a player that Gigi, I know you're familiar with that played quarterback for Wake Forest in your early days at Louisville and also played wide receiver. We were joking before we came on the show that, Wake Forest didn't start getting good under Dave Clawson until they moved Kendall Hinton away from quarterback and went to, to Jamie Newman and a couple of the other guys. But what do you remember about Kendall Hinton as a quarterback and as a player at Wake Forest, G.G.? Man, I was trying to remember uh, who the guy was for the longest time because I seen he was there kind of like the same years I was there, maybe left two years ago, and I left a year ago. So mainly the same exact times, but I never remembered him as a quarterback. So I'm not sure if I even played him as a quarterback. But I do remember him as a receiver. The name just sounded familiar. And I remember him playing receiver, but I have no memory of him as a quarterback. So that doesn't really uh, fare too well for the Broncos. No, you're right. The, the Broncos are in trouble with him at quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll throw more than seven passes today, Matt. What do you think? Yeah, I was just about to say, I'm, I'm not sure how this is going to affect uh, the Denver offense. I'm, I'm not exactly an, effort, an expert on how exactly they run things over there, but – I couldn't even tell you the last time he probably threw a football. It was probably in Wake Forest, honestly. So the fact that he's going to get meaningful snaps at signal caller. Yeah, so they've, got, they've no, got a couple of options. Back it, there. It's hard to keep track of who's wearing between trades and the offseason and, and COVID uh, opt-outs and just being out with uh, contact tracing and whatnot. But you would think they're either going to do some sort of option scheme or just run the ball down their throat for the majority of the night. But if it starts to go south, I can't imagine they're going to, going to stick with that passing attack for much longer. You wouldn't think so, especially with some of the weapons that they have. And I obviously don't want to turn this into a Denver Broncos podcast, but I was looking to try to go back to 2016. It looks like is the last time that Louisville would have faced Kendall Hinton. Actually, no, it would have been 2015. So his freshman year, that's the only time that he's actually played uh, against Louisville. And if I remember correctly, which I'm not even going to try to to think about what he did, but I I don't remember that going well for Wake Forest. I know that they lost a lot those first couple of games when Louisville moved into the ACC, but Needless to say, Denver's in trouble today. And speaking of in trouble, uh, it's been a it's been an interesting week for Scott Satterfield. And by Great no segue. means, to, yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> I I don't mean to uh, indicate that Scott Satterfield is in trouble by any means, but uh, one thing that doesn't sit well with Louisville fans is having your name come up in a job uh, search outside of the, your program or the, the use of your program for leverage, and then a loss that follows that. So it's been a rough week for the Louisville football program. Uh, but let's start with with what happened last night on the field with Boston College. I just, you know, general takeaways. I thought Louisville played well. I thought it was one of their better games offensively. And the reason for that, in my opinion, was the way that they targeted Des Fitzpatrick from the, from the beginning of the game. It opened things up for him. Um, the turnovers were brutal, man. They're absolutely brutal. I agree with Scott Satterfield when he said they were fluky. The 2-2 Atwell play was just, I mean, he literally just dropped the ball. Literally just dropped the ball running um, on what could have been a touchdown. Um, and then you have the pick at the end of the game that just fell right into the defensive lineman's hands. Gigi, that has to make you smile when a pick just falls like that right into a defensive lineman's hands. Like, I, did you ever get a pick at UofL? Never, but that didn't make me smile just because we lost on it. But <laughs> I do like seeing big man interception because that is just right, per- right place at the right time, something that never would happen. Like you never in your career would think that's going to happen, and it just happened. But, yeah, like you said, Louisville looked great on offense. And like you said, fluky flukes, like just things that don't happen. Like somebody like Hassan just dropping the ball. Like that doesn't happen too often. Obviously, he just put his hand right on the ball and hit it out. And then Tutu literally just dropped the ball. I think we only had, what was it, three turnovers? I'm saying only. We had three turnovers, right? 
Three yeah, turnovers, three. yeah. And only one, and you can't even really put it on Malik, his interception, because, like, somebody obviously didn't block and hit his arm when he was trying to throw the ball. So it was just, like, he played a really good game. I know he's going to – obviously, it doesn't go on the stat sheet that it wasn't his fault that it was a pick. So it's another pick for him, so which is not looking like a good season interception-wise. But he played a really good game, and – Louisville looked good on offense. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, this was not a game that, that lost because of Malik. I know there have been a couple games this season be, where he tries to play hero ball and force passes where they don't need to be going or maybe coughs up after trying to get a couple extra yards. But he, he performed very well in this game, both through the air and on the ground. He was 19-31 on his passes. He was just six yards short of 300 yards, which that's a good barometer for a lot of quarterbacks at any level. And then what really surprised me was how – Easily, he was able to pick up yardage on the ground. He uh, he ran 17 times for 133. I know a couple of times those attempts were attributed to sacks, but take those away, and he had a great day on the ground. I, I'm, and that's something that Louisville so desperately needed after hearing the news that Maurice Berkeley was going to be out with, uh, for, the, for the rest of the season with that lower extremity injury. Uh, Jalen Mitchell also had a relatively solid day, rushed 40 for 44 yards on 10 attempts. It's, it's not half bad considering how thin the running back room is. It, it, it sucks because on the last episode, you, Jacob, you and I were just raving about how much we love Maurice Berkeley's style of running, me in particular. I love how physical he is, how he's able to find the hole and just burst through that. And then if there's anyone in his way, he just bowls right into him. He doesn't shy away from contact. And he's got he's, – he's a good all-around, all-purpose back. And just to see him go down after having two back-to-back really good rushing games since taking over starting duties following J.B. and Hawkins' opt-out – it's, it's, it's just 2020 in a nutshell, unfortunately. I mean, everyone has injuries, but it's, it's, it's getting brutal for Louisville. Yeah, it really is. And one of the things I've found interesting, and Gigi, we haven't gotten to talk in a while, but uh, the, the, the switch from last season, how many times the offense, you know, the defense would have to come off the field after giving up a big, a big drive or a big play. The offense looks at them a, a type of way because they've got to go back onto the field now and try to get ahead. This year, it's the defense that is playing, you know, perfect drives at times. They're getting stops and then give, giving the ball to the offense to go out there and win football games and they're turning the football over. So it's just this weird switch from the last few years where the offense, has kind of had this gripe with the defense of like, can y'all please get a stop? And this year the defense is doing everything that they can to keep the offense in games. But these turnovers and these bad throws and these costly mistakes continue to cost um, them opportunities to win. And last night was a perfect example of that. Right. Uh, Boston College was running the ball at will in the beginning of the game, especially when they would get in (laughs) short yardage situation and then run a quarterback sneak for 10 yards. Like that doesn't happen. Like, well, I'm over-exaggerating more like five yards, but still, and so when um, Louisville had to punt the ball or whatever, when Boston College got the ball back with four minutes left in the game, I was like, they run the ball well enough that this game is over. Like, they're about to run the ball and it's over. They're going to run the clock out. But Louisville, like you said, the defense stood up and they've been getting stops at critical moments. Like, they get stops when they need to get stops. And that's all you can ask out of your defense. Like, they did what they needed to do. They held them. They let Louisville come back a little bit. And they got a stop. And all uh, we had to do was go down on offense and score to tie the game up, and we couldn't do it. Yeah, it's just frustrating, you know, to to be in a game, especially when Louisville's defense for several years has really struggled to get stops on critical spots. And and one of the things I was interested in asking you last night was you mentioned the the, the ability to be able to get these pickups on third and one and fourth and one. I took a lot of notes last night. One of the things that I, I noted was Louisville was really good at getting stops in third and eight, third and six, third and seven. But when it came to third and one, there was not a chance in hell Louisville was getting off the field. And how much, in your opinion, does that have to do with not having Jared Goldwire out there who was out with an injury? 
That's big. That is very big. But um, Boston College has always been known. If you look at Boston College, they're known for the offensive line every single year. They're known for having a big back. They're known for – they've always ran that quarterback sneak on fourth and one, third and one. They're confident that regardless – like I was listening to the commentators last night. A few weeks ago, they ran a quarterback sneak on like fourth and two. Like that's – people don't do that. But that's just – you have that much confidence in your offensive line that they're going to get enough push that they can get two yards. So it's not even Louisville. Like, I, like I'm not sure how much Goar wouldn't be able to stop that by himself anyway. So that's more just a credit to Boston College's offensive line. They're always really good. And on third and eight, Louisville has been much better because I remember when I was there, sometimes we would give up third and 17, third and 20, things that just don't happen. And so now that they're getting stops on third and eight plus, that's, that's a win. But last night, obviously, the third and one, fourth and one, we weren't stopping them, but not too many teams in the country were going to stop them. And I'm curious as to how much, if, if Jared Goldwater would have been in there, how much they would have stopped Boston College rushing attack because this was a Boston College team that was not your typical BC team over the last decade, half decade or so. This, for ever since Louisville joined the ACC, they've been known as a smash mouth football team. Just give the ball to the running back. More often than not, it's been AJ Dillon the last couple of years and just run straight at you, run right down your throat and just dare you to stop them. But this this has been a Boston College team this season that's not it's they've had a moderate amount of success running the ball, but they were definitely not rushing to their caliber to, to what they expect, and they mainly relied on the arm of Phil Jerkovich to get them where they are. And then to start the game, it just seemed like they were rushing at will until they started to slow down a little bit. But then they uh, once the backup QB it went and it's turned into a shootout surprisingly. <laughs> Yeah, the, the backup quarterback thing was interesting to me, and I want to talk about that in a second because we got we got to talk about Rush East getting getting absolutely shook out of his shoes in the open field by by a slow quarterback. But um, you know, when when you're looking at what BC did last night, I thought the commentators pointed out on multiple occasions that BC easily came in with their worst rushing attack in the last you know five to ten years. Like you said, they were averaging 104 yards per game which uh, they had at halftime. And if that's not Louisville football for you, I don't know what is. I can't tell you how many times over the last, you know, four seasons it, it feels like that coming into games, the, the, the big thing is, you know, can Louisville stop this running back that has struggled? Or can, can this offense that has struggled running the football get going against Louisville's defense? And more times than not, they've been able to. So that was frustrating. But again, when you're getting off the field and you're making stops like Louisville's defense was last night, it allows – for those yardage, you know, those, the, the yards that the running backs picked up from BC to, to be meaningless. I mean, uh, I don't feel like BC really did anything until the very end to control the game on the ground. They were the most of their damage came through the air. Uh, and the most frustrating part about it was uh, both Jerkovich and Dennis Grissel got hit several times. Louisville's pass rush was there on multiple occasions. But if you go back and you watch that, each time Jerkovich gets hit, somebody is wide open in the middle of the field. The, the big play in the third quarter, uh, it was like a 30 or 40-yard gain. It, Monty Montgomery, I think, is who it was. Or maybe it was actually it was Daniel Kennard. Absolutely lit Jerkovich up. But wide open was a wide receiver in the middle of the field. A couple of plays later, same thing. Tight end, wide open, middle of the field. Louisville's coverage in the middle of the field last night is what got them in trouble. Um, and the, the running thing, the running game more had to do with, um, you know, Louisville just not being able to get stops early in the drive, which, you know, that, that obviously is what it is. But, again, they were getting third down stops. So they were able to get off the field, and they were able to kind of hold that bend but not break philosophy. And, yeah, going back to the Jerkovich bit, that's, that's something I kind of saw coming in because I remember seeing a PFF stat uh, heading into this weekend that the quarterback who was leading the nation in passing yards while under pressure 
was Phil Jerkovich, and it wasn't particularly close. I think he I think he had about nine hundred, and then the guy who was in second had six hundred and change. This this is his style of play. Even with the defender just breathing down his neck, he's able to scramble. And we saw it a couple times last night. He was pointing at receivers, hey, you go that way. He's able to play for lack of a better term, some backyard football and just point receivers open even with a uh, like a year Sierra Abdullah or a CJ Avery or Monty Montgomery just in hot pursuit of them. And so it's it was disappointing to see see it happen, but it wasn't surprising. Yeah, Gigi, what, 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 I was just going to say, when you see a team getting close with a pass rush like that, but not being able to kind of, you know, get home, how do you fix that? Like, what do you do? I mean, you're right there. You just didn't make the play. I don't know, because when I was like, when I looked at the game, what I saw was if they were getting there, they were getting there and hitting him late. So like he's still having a good amount of time to throw the ball, but he's still getting hit, only getting hit because he's holding the ball so long because he gets to hold the ball that long. I wasn't seeing anybody win in pass rush immediately and is right in his face in two seconds. I wasn't seeing many of that. I was seeing more of their winning four or five seconds and then hitting him, which if you give a quarterback that long, then the receivers, I mean, uh, DBs can't cover for that long. So I would say the pass rush was there, I guess, but it was kind of late. So I wasn't, I wasn't too impressed with how, how quick they were getting back there. Because if you get back there quicker, obviously the quarterback doesn't have as much time. But before even coming into the game, I kind of was like, dang, like Boston College just held up with Notre Dame and they held up with Clemson. I'm like, this could get ugly quick because uh, like y'all were saying, backyard football with uh, the quarterback, he was very good. He was a very good quarterback. Like I, I surprised that he couldn't get on the field at Notre Dame because the way he's been looking this year has been a pretty uh, darn good quarterback. He really has. And I, Gigi, I called this game earlier in the season. I don't know if you remember us kind of going back and forth in our first preview that we, the episode we did together, but the Boston college game always is one that, that worried me on this schedule, just because of where it fell right after Thanksgiving. It's a weird road trip. It's super cold up there. There's no fans there. Like it was just always going to be something that was going to be difficult for Louisville to overcome, but I didn't see them becoming this, this high powered passing offense under, under Jeff Halfley, which they have. And a big part of that is because of, of Phil Jerkovich and the weapons that he has. Boston college has always um, had good running backs, but just in the last few years, have they finally developed wide receivers? And last night we saw how dangerous, dangerous Zay Flowers was. Um, I will say I got to give Louisville a ton of credit for how they handled, uh, handled covered Hunter, Hunter Long, the tight end. Um, I, you know, he absolutely – Gigi, we talked about this early in the season. Those crossing tight end patterns that BC ran last year torched Louisville's defense in the first half, and not until the second half when Grossell got in could they kind of figure things out. Uh, I expected the tight end to be more of a game plan, um, you know, target in this game for BC, but it never ended up being that. Uh, which, you know, I don't know if that was a coverage thing that Louisville did or whatever, but I think it um, it was a, a big win because tight ends have always been something that Louisville's defense has, has covered or struggled with. Um, but when you go into the second half of that game, BC comes back from the half uh, with a small lead. They come back without their quarterback. They come out without their running back. Louisville's got every opportunity to win the game. Um, and I thought at that point it was over. Louisville was going to be able to come back and pull that game out and win. In your mind, Matt, what went wrong in the second half? Like, what's the thing that if you could pinpoint that changed that game and kept Louisville from winning, what is it? I mean, other other than turnovers, I, I, I'm not sure the defense made the necessary adjustments because I thought that when Jerkovich went out, uh, when Bailey went out, and for, fortunately they weren't uh, – it didn't appear that they were severe injuries because Jerkovich was still standing on the sideline during that game. I, I, I don't think 
I don't want to say the defense got complacent because they, they were still playing pretty good ball, but I don't think they made the necessary play calls and adjustments because I, I thought, I mean, I, I don't exactly, I didn't exactly know a lot on Dennis Grossell. I'm, but to, to see him just kind of orchestrate a great offense like he did in that sec, in that uh, fourth quarter in particular, I mean, he had a 44 yard run that jukes, what was it? Yeast yeah. completely out of his shoes. I mean, that, that looked like me running out there. That was the most unathletic juke I've ever seen. And, and it was just slow motion. Like, and the way that Russ fell, I mean, the whole thing was so ugly. Like, they're, they're, some, somebody's uh, got to give him a hard time, right? Like, someone's got to put that on the highlight tape that gets shown over and over and over again, right? Like, that's, that's how that has to work. Right. And, and credit to Boston College, too, because on that same drive right after that run, C.J. Lewis made an incredible one-handed catch that I, I thought for sure he dropped. It, it kind of looked like at first it might have been a little bit of OPI. It looked like he might have pushed off Kytrell Clark, but it, it – on replay, it might have looked like he tripped. So I don't, I don't want to blame Kytro Clark for that because that was just a great effort by Lewis. And the next drive out, uh, Galloway had a 21-yard reception. And at that point, the Boston College offense is rolling, and I thought the exact opposite was, was going to happen because you've got your, your heart and soul of the offense completely out. Not only that, but someone who epitomizes Boston College's style of running, his, the starter is out too. So the, I, I don't know. I would like to know uh, – what was going on inside that defensive huddle hunting up to that moment and what they were expecting to see versus what actually uh, happened. Yeah, he, was, he, Go ahead, GJ. When I was looking at it, like the turning point, because I was, I watched, I watched probably like 80% of the game. What, what I seen as a turning point of the game was when they were obviously that long run by the quarterback that gives him confidence. Like things like that give a quarterback confidence. Obviously he's stepping in. I'm thinking the same thing, even though we're down by 14 points, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, uh, or was it only seven points at that time? I was kind of uh, confident that Louisville was about to come back and win the game because uh, the backup quarterback's in and whatnot. But when you give him a drive where he does that long run, he's getting confidence. When he passes uh, 11-yard touchdown, backup quarterback, he's doing that. That's going to give him confidence to know that he's he can do this in the game. And as soon as we got down by 14 and we gave that backup quarterback some confidence, I was kind of like, this is the turning point because – it's not like the backup quarterback's in there and is scared. Obviously, he's done it before, but it's not easy to come in and just uh, come off the bench cold and do it. But as soon as he came in and got that confidence boost in that one drive, I knew that it was we we're going to be in trouble. Yeah, so same drive. I, I agree that everything that you guys talked about was kind of the changing the, – the turning point for Louisville um, or for Boston College with that run. But that same drive – um, after that run, Louisville got a stop on first down, I believe. Um, and then they committed back-to-back personal foul penalties. It was 30 yards that they gave to BC on a drive where the game was 20-13. to 13. They were looking like they were trending towards a stop on that drive, even after a big run. So Yaya Diaby roughs the passer um, on second down, I believe. Um, they go back to – that would be, what, second and 20? Or, or no, because they, they're going the other way. But then uh, they follow it up with Jared Dawson with a, with a face mask, um, the young freshman seeing his first time on the season, I can remember. And that you give them 30 yards right there. Uh, and then you follow that up with a dropped uh, interception, which I think it was Control Clark that dropped that one in the, in the back corner. Or either him or character, they both had drops in the end zone. Uh, you have every opportunity right there to get off the field and completely, you know, change the momentum back towards your way after that big run. Um, but instead they don't, they give up the touchdown. Um, maybe it was offensive pass interference. I don't know. It certainly looked like his trajectory kind of got thrown off course from running straight to all of a sudden being thrown sideways. Um, but they come back on, on the next drive 
and they're starting to move the, the move the ball. Cunningham has that big run, and then Adonis Boone gets the the 15 yard penalty. So you have three 15 yard penalties and two drives that completely changed the momentum of that game for Louisville. And at that point, I, I just I, I didn't have any faith that they were going to be able to come back and um, take the lead. Now they did bring the game close, and and kudos to Cunningham, man, because he was getting laid out time and time again. I've said this multiple times for every hit that Lamar Jackson avoids. Malik Cunningham takes it times two. Uh, he had no business being in that game late by how many times he was hit, but he kept he kept fighting. And that that throw to Tutu Atwell was an NFL throw. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. That 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 low fade to the to the corner where no one could have gotten it except for Tutu. Um, and, and you love to see that. But when your defense and and your offensive line are committing penalties like that, you every chance that you have to get back is going to go out the window. Yeah, and and. I, I, up to that point, I thought Louisville had done a really great job. It, they played, a, from a penalty standpoint, a relatively clean game because for the game, Louisville only committed four penalties, and then they commit, what, three on the final drive? I, up to, I thought that the way they had played up to that point, they were played disciplined enough football from at least not screwing up that they might be able to string something together. And to see it all just fall apart at the seams, that was disappointing. But let's go back to Cunningham for a second. Just credit to him because he, he looked like he was fighting through some pain. He kept clutching his wrist the entire – was was it his throwing wrist? I I don't think it was. I don't was. think so, no, because I don't think he's left-handed. And that every time he'd get up, it was Okay, his it was his left wrist. So. Yeah, yeah. So, but it, you could tell he took a fall – I want to say it was late in the first half he fell on his wrist, and in the second half somebody fell on his wrist after he had already kind of fallen and braced himself. So um, he was obviously in pain, man. It it reminded me a lot of Teddy back in the day where they – you know, remember they had to carry him down the field uh, because of his ankle and and wrist injuries. I mean, it looked a lot like that. It was gutsy as can be, but it just wasn't enough. And another thing that I noticed is as much as Louisville turns the ball over, like obviously that's terrible. Like that's bad with almost – I think I was seeing that we're either the worst or second worst team in the country when it comes to turnovers and our turnover margin. Mm-hmm. But if you're doing that, it's not half bad if you capitalize on all your opportunities on defense to get the turnovers. Like, I can't tell you how many turnovers our corners have dropped. Like, yesterday, like, they're considered great plays. I mean, they're considered good plays because they're breaking the ball up, but it'd be, it could be great. Like, you take it to the next level if you're picking that ball off. Like, when Marlon Character had that pick in the end zone, he broke the ball perfectly and literally was in his hands and just dropped it on the way to the ground. Like, that's tough. Like, things like that change the game around, especially when you have three turnovers on offense already or two turnovers on offense already at that time. If you could make up and get the turnover margin back to zero, Louisville wins that football game. But when we're minus three in a turnover margin or minus two in a turnover margin, it's just not, uh, not ideal for you to win. Yeah, they, they were the second worst team in the country coming into the game in turnovers. They were the worst team in the country in turnover margin, and they were the second worst team in the country in fumbles, now leading the country after the two that they had. I mean, all around the turnover situation is really bad. Scott Satterfield talked about this offseason that they are going to go you know back to work on trying to fix this issue on creating and not turning the football over. Uh, and you hope that they can figure that out. But Brian Brown, um, earlier this week, I think, Matt, you might have to correct me. Maybe it was this week or last. But um, he talked about that his, defense, his defensive backs have to learn to not be volleyball players in that moment. I thought that was a really interesting thing that they pointed out on the broadcast last night. Those guys are, are not uh, – you know, it looks like they're attempting to catch the ball. But Brian Brown said that they're swatting at the ball uh, and going for more pass breakups than they are interceptions. And, you know, if that's kind of your mentality, it would make sense as to why they've dropped – I mean, 10, 10 interceptions this season. Easily. I don't know if that's a high number. I mean, Clark might have five or six by himself. Like they got to get a jug machine in the DB room this year because I mean, that's absolutely 
that's that's crazy like I, I remember last year walking into the media room and they had the 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 stick with the ball on it like that you had to walk past kind of like a turnstile to get into the media room and all the players would work on ball protection I guess is what that was for like yeah. we need to do the same thing where you walk into a room and you immediately got to catch a football because the defensive backs are dropping interceptions every single week that could give the offense an opportunity to win the game see at, at this point I'm starting to think that just might be how that Brian Brown coaches defense he go to go first for the PBU which by all means, that that's go teach that. But at the same time, when there's a, a ball just falling into your bread basket, you don't swat that away. Take it and catch it. I kudos to them for breaking up all the passes they have, especially Kytro Clark. He's been just a bona fide star this year because he's he stays on the receiver's hip. He's got the agility, he's got the speed to stay man to man with damn near any wide receiver in the ACC. But more often than not, whenever the ball is right there for the picking, he just bats it away. And like I said, credit to him for making the play on the ball. But sometimes you have to capitalize when it's just right there for the taking. And it seems like everyone on the defense has been doing this this year. And, and an observation I made last night is I, I, I failed to understand, and Gigi, you might have some sort of insight into this, how can a team that was so good with – ball security a season ago because Javion Hawkins carried it 200 plus times didn't fumble it once and then this year the defense can't stop coughing it up and then I how how does that happen I have no idea to be honest like but like you're saying all these are like fluke things like when do you see a receiver catch the ball and blatantly drop it like while trying to catch it and tuck it instead of catching it and dropping it that's crazy to me I've never seen anything like that that just goes to show you our luck this year, though. That's literally our luck. And so it's just, I don't know, just fluky, fluky um, fumbles and things like that, but things that you can't really control. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, you'd like to see moving forward, you know, one, I know there's only one more game left. You would like to see in this Wake Forest game kind of the, the summary of both what we saw this week and last week combined. Uh, this week being you want to see no turnovers. Um, you don't want to see Cunningham throw any picks. You don't want to see any fumbles. And then you want to take uh, from the Syracuse game the way that, that, that the, the wide receivers were getting involved, the way that, um, you know, Cunningham was targeting different guys. Like, we're, we're on the verge of getting a complete form performance. But at this point, there's one game left. It doesn't really matter. We're sitting at three and seven, season's over. Um, and now we're going to go into this really weird two-week bye. And maybe we don't even play Wake Forest. I mean, Wake Forest had to cancel a game yesterday. Um, they haven't played in three weeks, two weeks. Um, they may not play again, you know, for another two weeks. So who knows at the end of the season schedule is set. Maybe this, something will change and we'll get a new opponent. Who knows? But um, for now, you know, it's got to be disappointing to walk away from that game knowing that you had every opportunity to win and you just couldn't, you couldn't do it for the seventh time this season. You had a chance to win and, and just couldn't make it happen. Uh, but before we transition into to just briefly talking about Wake Forest before we hop off of here, I think we need to talk about what happened this week with Scott Satterfield, the rumors that, that came to be um, the, the South Carolina job and his name being mixed in. I think it, we would be, you know, silly to overlook that, and not talk about it. So I want to open this up first with Gigi and Gigi, I want to talk to you as a former player, um, you've been in locker rooms where coaches have left, where there's been rumors of coaches leaving, where there's been, you know, conflict between the players and the coaches, whatever the case may be. Um, I know we're only in year two of Scott Satterfield, and I know he came out and he denied having any involvement in that job, um, having any, you know, that there was going to be no interview. But what we know about Scott Satterfield's agent, Jimmy Sexton, is that he is a player. 
He knows how to play the game. He knows how to leverage schools for more money. He knows when to and when not to have his, you know, clients names come up in other jobs. Um, and with, you know, what Scott Satterfield said on Monday about Tutu Atwell and kind of describing the decision to kind of push him back to play and not to opt out, um, to only have his name come up in a job just looks really bad. Tell me in your opinion, if you were in that locker room, how that would be sitting with you. Um, it's nothing you really could do about it, honestly, but uh, coaches are always going to do what's best for them. And I mean, they're always going to say that they're not going anywhere. Like who, have you ever seen a coach say, yes, I'm going to interview for this job? No, they're not. And they're going to do it probably behind closed doors and hopefully nobody finds out about it. But I mean, I guess sometimes you could just trust your coach and hopefully they don't go anywhere. You could just hope for the best, but I don't really see coach uh, Satterfield going anywhere. He's only in year two and he's building something. And he, I just feel like he's in a good position at Louisville and I don't think that he'll be going anywhere, but as a player, you really can't do anything, but just hope for the best. Something that kind of sticks out to me is that I'm, I'm curious as to who, in this whole situation is being distruthful because this really started to catch fire whenever that athletic report came out from the athletics, uh, Josh Kendall. He was, I believe he's their South Carolina beat writer. He was the one who originally reported that they had already met face to face with coastal Carolina's head coach. And then they had in-person interviews scheduled with not only Satterfield, but also uh, OU's assistant coach, Shane Beamer. And so that started to make its round around the internet to the point where Satterfield had to say something that night. And he ended up uh, releasing a statement. Several other uh, media outlets said that had talked to Vince Tyree. He said that this is not true and that there is no in-person interview set up. And then after all that kind of settled, the guy who initially reported this at The Athletic was sticking to his report. So I, I'm curious because someone's lying in this situation. I, I, want, I want to believe that Tyree and Satterfield are not uh, – this did not happen and that Jimmy Sexton – is just you know trying to just set up more money for his client because that's that's what you do as a, as a as an agent, but to see the original source stick to his reporting, it, it kind of sits a little uneasy with me, especially if it further comes to light that later on down the line this did actually happen. That that's just what sticks out to me in this whole situation because some someone's not being truthful. I yes. agree, but it's definitely it, like like I'm like I said, it's a business. It happens in every. Uh, and football is just, I don't know, things are just where you just got to chalk it up as is business. Like things are going to happen like that. That's so true. Coaches are going to, like you said, they're going to play the game and try to get the most money as possible. Sometimes coaches sometimes go to interview somewhere else just so the school they're at pays them a little more money because they don't want them to leave. So it's literally a business. And I don't blame Coach Satterfield if he does interview for the job. So if he leaves, I don't blame him for leaving just because I'm – for, this is me as a former player looking back saying obviously as a as a current player I wouldn't want him to leave my program but as a former player looking back and I understand the business side of things I understand that if he leaves he's doing it for the better of himself his family and things like that so it's just really obviously as a fan as a player if I was a player on the team you don't want to see your coach leave and you don't want to see you're, you're not looking at it from his point of view you're not seeing the positive for him you're only seeing the positive for yourself. So obviously you don't want him to leave. Yeah. And I understand that. And I completely respect where you're coming from there, but I think that we're silly to look at it in a vacuum, right? And any other year where you, you know, you potentially leverage your program to get a raise. I get it. I totally understand. But in a year like this, where college football was kind of on the brink for as long as it was, we're seeing players get, you know, left and right go down with COVID and 
Um, you know, right now I, I get that players want to play and that they want to be on the field, but like long-term, maybe it doesn't make sense to be playing in the season. And Scott Satterfield was one of the coaches that was really pushing to play this season and to be at three and six and potentially go in and interview for another job, whether that be because you have interest in that job or whether that be because you want leverage, it's just a bad look. Um, I thought it all around, it was just a bad look. And I, I'm going to blame Jimmy Sexton on this one because I really don't believe Scott Satterfield is the kind of guy that would go to leverage an athletic department that's laid off 40 people in a year. Um, like, I don't see him being that big of an ass and excuse my language and, and using that word there, but like, I, that's an asshole move. Like that's something Bobby Petrino would do. That's not something I would want to see Scott Satterfield do. Uh, but I just thought it was an interesting look this week and an interesting thing to kind of come out with Louisville sitting at three and six and long-term I think the question has to be how long, how long is Scott Satterfield here for? Is this a, is this a long-term thing? Does he want to build the program or is he looking for the first opportunity to jump out of here for a bigger opportunity? And like Gigi said, I can't blame him for that. Um, but it's just, it would be unfortunate for it to come on the, on the heels of a COVID season where he really pushed for this team to play and for college football to be played. Yeah. I, I want to think that Satterfield wants to stay here for the long haul because he, he left his alma mater that he played for, that he coached for for a long time to coach at Louisville and just for him to bolt after two seasons I, I I don't see him see him doing that but then again Louisville fans have been down this road before with numerous coaches so it wouldn't shock me and and speaking about sex and he, he's got to do a better job of reading the room I, I get that you're trying to help your client and to get him more money but colleges across the nation have laid off thousands upon thousands and furloughed thousands on thousands because of what's going on with the COVID-19 pandemic. And you're over here trying to leverage your client to have more money to an athletic department. That's already like let go of several people. Like, just, just why that this is not going to end how you once it end. I know you have good intentions for your client, but just, just, just hold off on the on the shady business dealings for at least another season. <laughs> right. I yeah. truly don't think like I said, I don't think he's gonna go anywhere. Like I don't I wouldn't think that Coach Satterfield's gonna go anywhere. But not this end, job. But at the end of the day, <laughs> I don't think that it's I mean, I think it's a long term deal here, but what's long term for coaches? Like I'm not I, I'm not many coaches stay for ten plus years at one program. So right. I'm not thinking that it's that. I definitely think that he'll be for at least five years. But then if something comes up, like, say, the North Carolina job or something comes available where he's from, right. like, I, like that's that's a, a goal, I would assume, with exactly. it, like, where he'd want to be. Mm -hmm. Or something big-time SEC, which is kind of closer out that way, like a South Carolina. Yeah, maybe South Carolina on, fits that, right. Later on. I mean, like, big I time, though. He said big time. Yeah, yeah, right. maybe, yeah bigger time. <laughs> like, maybe in three years when South Carolina's a little better or something, I could just see that happening, like, I don't see long-term as in Coach Satterfield is going to be here for 20 years. I don't see that. But I see long-term as in five years plus I could see him at Louisville. But then if a bigger job uh, comes available that's maybe closer to where he's from, that's why he ultimately why he left App State, I would assume, a bigger job. Like this, right. he's getting way more money at Louisville. And he did really everything you can do at App State. So I think this is Louisville's more of kind of a segue for him maybe to go to even somewhere bigger. Yeah, there was a lot of goodwill built up between Louisville fans for Scott Satterfield. And I, I think a lot of that went out the window and it may not be his fault. Like this is one of those situations where he may look at Jimmy Sexton and be like, what the hell, man? Like, why'd you do that this week? Of all weeks, why not just wait? Uh, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Following that up with a loss is not good. I'll tell you that. Now Louisville fans have two weeks to completely switch into basketball mode. 
Um, and, and before they switch, you know, before Wake Forest in the final game. But let me ask you this. We'll end here, Gigi. That, that, that game will – the Wake Forest game will be senior night for a lot of guys, uh, and it'll really be the end of an era of Louisville football. Um, I, I don't even know how to ask this question, but, like, what are your what, – what goes through your mind, like, thinking of celebrating guys like Dorian Etheridge, Des Fitzpatrick, C.J. Avery, guys who have been – um, along with you for your entire career who have been through the ups and downs of Louisville football. Like what's just kind of your emotional state watching those guys get celebrated for the last time. Man, I'm happy for them. Obviously happy for them. Who knows if they're going to come back or not, but I could assume that most of them aren't trying to come back, especially like if you're not going to make it to the league now, what makes you think you do it next year? So, I mean, just going out to try, but I definitely am happy for them, proud of them. And definitely it, like you said, it's the end of the era. Like, it's almost coming down to it's about to be all Coach Satterfield's players here soon. And all the old heads basically are leaving. And so it's crazy. It's going to be different leaders next year, things like that. But I'm definitely proud of all the seniors. And uh, obviously, as a senior last year, the main thing you want to do is go out with a win, regardless of the season, regardless of what happens, you're always going to remember your senior night. So you don't want to have 50 hung on your head on senior night and lose. Obviously, Wake Forest is a good team, so it's going to be hard to get that win. But you definitely do want to leave the program your last game, especially your senior night last game in uh, Cardinal Stadium. You want to leave with a victory. Absolutely. Matt, any closing thoughts here before we jump off? I, I just hope this game gets played because I have every right to think that this game, I, I know it's senior night. I know you want to get this game played. And I'm starting to think it might not get played at all because Wake, Wake has been struggling recently with COVID cases in, in uh, their program. They had to cancel their game against Duke, like not postpone outright, cancel their game against Nuke on uh, the 21st. And then their, um, their game against Miami is getting postponed. And now unless they get uh, are able to get things uh, wrapped up there i i'm not sure we even get to see them take the field against wake forest so fingers crossed there that wake forest can get stuff together but we'll see all right well thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of from the pink seats we'll catch you next time Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.